Are you struggling to lose weight and keep it off? Tired of wasting time and money on starvation diets that lead to more frustration and stress? If there was a weight loss solution that could actually work for you, would you try it? Then head to golo.com. I'm Steve. I lost 138 pounds in nine months on Golo. I'm Amber. I've lost 128 pounds with Golo. If you're ready to take back control of your life, head to golo.com now and see how Golo can work for you. That's golo.com. My sleep is way better. My inflammation has gone way down. Golo saved my life. I was way overweight. That's what sent me down the path. I wanted to make sure and live for my kid. I have literally tried everything. I was on the verge of getting gastric bypass surgery, and I saw the Golo commercial, and it was the last thing I tried because it worked. Join over 2 million people who found a better way to lose weight with Golo. Your healthier and happier life begins at Golo.com. That's G-O-L-O.com. Again, G-O-L-O.com. Okay, so let's see how Venom's doing in the ratings right now. Come on, you damn computer. Why are you so slow? 30%? Really? Really, Rotten Tomatoes? That's how you want to play? Uh, you, you know what? Let me be real with y'all. <laughs> see, this, this is exactly why you got to do your own kind of thinking. Yet, 95% like this movie. No, 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 no. We're going to get into the middle of it because it's time for the Monster Fest again. And, of course, welcome to the J-Man Show here on K360 Radio. What's going on, J360 Legion? This is Jay, of course, and you're back on the J-Man Show for episode 43. Ah, it feels so good to be doing the Monster Fest again. I know we had a bit of a delay, and I don't need anybody to remind me that the Eagles are playing the Giants right now because, well, you know, I have my sources. And, hey, was there a Cyclone episode this week or not? Huh. I guess not, you know, because I I didn't get the copy of it. But we'll talk about it later, (laughs) because that's a whole different scenario. Don't worry. For those of you sports fans out there, you'll get another episode soon. We'll we'll work on it. Uh, Meanwhile, though, going to this Venom thing, I recently saw it. And let me tell you, if there is any movie that deserves the title of Poorly Reviewed Film of the Year, that would be the movie. I, I, I just don't get it. So, a movie that just about everybody's been looking forward to. I mean, a lot of people had their doubts, as with any movie. But this movie actually had something good going for it. Despite the idea that, you know, it could be paper thin. Because the character itself exists to make one man's life a living hell. Much in the same way like certain top tier villains of Spider-Man's universe. And yes, okay, so there's a whole thing that, you know, Sony and Marvel are working out to have Spider-Man in MCU, but whereas the other supporting characters, like certain villains, they're on their own spectrum. And they may or may not meet, okay? So it's, it's still in the air on this. And it seems like a lot of people are carrying on with that sort of idealism to the point where they're thinking, oh, you know, um, yeah, uh, uh, I don't like the idea of that, so I'm not going to go see this movie. Give these people a chance to make these movies, all right? Look, I have my doubts about the Joker film, but the way I see, like, Joaquin Phoenix is getting into the role 
and the way like his design looks, he looks similar to the way Heath Ledger did in the Dark Knight trilogy. So at the same time, I'm like, all right, maybe this movie has a chance to sign. I just have to get out of the own way of my personal bias. So I'm going to go see this film, even though at this point it's still up in the air whether there's a Batman in this or whether there's a Superman now because DC doesn't know what they're doing. That's pretty scary in itself. But, you know, at least Aquaman can come over around here and smooth over things along with the Shazam movie. But then again, I'm getting out of the context of the Monster Fest. Moving back into Venom right now, this, this character and the design is made for horror elements. It's a monster. It's the darker interpretations of the Spider-Man character. But this time, it's gone on to its own sort of, you know, universal feel. And the thing is, when you watch the movie, a lot of people seem to be looking for just about anything they can throw in there. They're like, oh, we want Michelle Williams to do more. She does a lot. But you see, the thing is, this is Venom's movie. You know, she's a supporting character. She's a strong supporting character at that. And in reality, you know, if you do something what Eddie Brock did in the movie, when you go ahead and you release off-the-record confidential information, you will lose your job. And the person that you got it from, if it's your loved one, they'll lose their job too. You see, the thing is, you'll see him being happy, but he loses everything. This is where the crux of this whole thing begins. Now, I know it feels kind of roped in that the symbiotes are coming from space, but do you really need to think about that too much? I mean, it's aliens, for goodness sake. You know what I'm saying? At least they got some of the lore right that actually responds to the Venomverse, because there is a Venomverse now. But when you look at like how some people are like, oh, this movie's not all that good because of either A, Tom Hardy's acting, or Michelle Williams didn't do much, or what was, the, what was this movie made for? This movie was made for entertainment and shock value, and it's right there in the movie. I would go into it a little bit deeper, but the movie's still fresh, and right now, I'm loving the fact that fans are like, you know what, the hell with you over there in the criticism pile, because we're going to go see this movie anyway. And as you all should, I recommend it. It's on my list of recommendations. Because, like, everything was awesome about it. Like, the way the symbiote just merges with Eddie. And the way, like, once Venom comes into full focus, you're like, oh my god. And, you know, there's parts in there where it's, like, some people say it's unintentionally funny. I guess because some of y'all don't like some humor with your horror. So you forget that... You know, that's just part of everything. I mean, if you're caught in a mix of what's going on, and if you had something like that floating in you, you'd be a little perplexed too. Especially if you had no sort of no sort of tie to make you go ahead and attack certain creatures. You know what I'm saying? And then you find that the idea that the symbiotes are actually there as a plot of a hostile takeover, you know, and then you start to get to know, like, certain gist of different characters. Like, the other symbiote that's in the movie named Riot... Like, you know, in the comic that it's based on, Riot didn't really do too much. But in this, he took center stage, and he was like Venom's commanding CO and whatnot. But at the same time, Venom had a stronger host, and he was able to match him in the final battle. Like, the whole sequence of that movie, and how, like, the Venom character is speaking to Eddie Brock, the character. And I was like, this actually happens in the comic, so I'm getting my gist out of it. But then you realize, like, the horror part of it all... It's like the shock value that comes into play because you see like how he slowly but surely gives into the mask character. It, it, it's beautiful. Now, there are problems with the film, such as like, well, the way people have went ahead and reviewed it. I mean, 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is why like earlier when I started doing this show, 
I told you all to remember to stay away from groupthink. Just go see these movies. Because some of these movies that we hold dear to ourselves, you know, they're not going to be stellar hits. They're not going to be Oscar-winning scenarios. They're not going to be the creme de la creme that, that the Oscars keep trying to throw at us at the end of every year. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to be like that. Not all movies are just like that. See, with me myself, when I want to make movies, at the end of the day, I, if I entertained you and I got you away from the real world from time to time and to see exactly how this character's life unfolds and whether the character dies or lives at the end or succeeds or fails, I mean, wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you want the entertainment value instead of just trying to be the most popular product on the block? I mean, think about it. Like, yeah, sure, we know the business model is to make money, but at the end of the day, this movie has provided it. It's not perfect because you can hear how Tom Hardy is trying so hard to cover his accent. The man's got a strong accent and way of speaking, but he's done it so well. Like, I, I like the way he actually goes about saying, you know, being this kind of Eddie Brock. It's a different take on the character to a point. Abdat, abdatational heroism, if you will. And then you see, like, the way he merges with, uh, with Venom, and Venom is like the perfect match, or no, 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 he's the perfect match for Venom. And Venom doesn't want to give it up, so on one end, you see, like, all of the horror elements, like, is he going to eat some more people? Because apparently this version of Venom takes a lot from the Ultimate Marvel, where he does eat sort of light, eat life sources to keep him active. Because if not, you know, the symbiote is going to eat the host itself. So that was cool. You see what I'm saying? The crux of the character is there. It's just that that's when you got to get out of the hive mind thinking and actually say, you know what? the hell with the popular people i'm gonna go ahead and do this and watch this myself like there's a lot of movies out there that we take for granted or we don't look into like some of the movies that we talk about like killer clowns from outer space an american werewolf in london branded puppet master all of those puppet master movies i mean i they all got charm in the norm you understand what i'm saying like the first one was scary within itself the second one when you had like some human puppetry going on yeah it was pretty damn creepy but, you know, like anything, if you put extra sequels in there, chances are they become a different take. And, you know, four and five were a different take. Six and seven tried to bring it back. And then there was a reboot. Maybe I was talking about seven in that regard. And then there's like, well, there's like a reboot and a sequel. And they try to bring it back. But, you know, there's just that whole aspect that we love those characters and we know those characters so much that we, as people, keep those things relevant. And you know this, like, that's why you got always a different Hellraiser movie, too. They still make movies for that. And then you look at, like, the Child's Play films. Did, has anybody taken the Child's Play films seriously since the first one? I mean, think about it. The second one was, like, the best in the series, but then you t it depends on who you talk to. Because by the time after the third one, which I think is the most misunderstood film in the franchise, you know... It started going more aspects of comedy, such as Bride of Chucky, and then came, you know, Seed of Chucky, which I really didn't care for, you know what I'm saying? Because Seed of Chucky was just weird. But then you take a look at Curse of Chucky, and then Cult of Chucky. Brought it right back to the horror elements is what makes that character very, very scary. And at this point, it's still on a cliffhanger, even though they're... MGM's making a remake of the first one, at least. But there's supposed to be a series that deals with the context of what the movies have left off on. And I think Brad Dorff is ready to keep reprising the characters, so there's something there. You know what I mean? 
But the thing about it is, you look at it from time to time. Like, when I was a kid, that stuff used to be pretty damn freaky. But when I got older and I got more interested in filmmaking and stuff, and I confronted the fear of looking at Chucky movies, I, I used to think they were hilarious in general. Because, I mean, yeah, he's got superhuman strength even as a damn doll. But still, it's like, when he's on top of the people, and he's all wiggling around and crap, and he's trying to stab them, I thought that stuff was funny. And, like, at no point... Did anybody, like, actually just hit him in the head, you know, with, with the blunt force trauma because, you know, he has to become more human the longer he stays in that doll body. So you figure, like, he loses his head in the first one. I remember that. But it's like, not, not at one time during the formative formative moments in the movies did he get hit in the head at all. You know what I'm saying? Except for, like, uh, in the second one, when Aunt, when he was playing possum and Andy just punched him in the face, and he realized that blood was coming out of his nose, so he had to hurry up and get out of the, the doll body as soon as possible. It's little things like that. And since, like, you know, he's afraid of dying, which is, like, the crux of the character, he's in a fate worse than death, which is awesome. And then, of course, for those of you out there that love post-apocalyptic-type films or so, I mean, remember The Hills Have Eyes? Like... The original The Hills Have Eyes, not the remakes. Like, all those cleaned-up remakes, you know, let's let's just throw them out of the wind. Well, actually, no, let's keep them relevant, because you know why? If those other movies didn't have their cult status like they did and didn't inspire, like, other filmmakers to come up and take their ranks with cameras and stuff, you probably wouldn't have remakes. And the reason why you have remakes in general is because the stuff's so familiar to you. You know what I'm saying? The cult status of these movies lead to the idea that they never really go away. So, I mean, they don't do so hot in the box office at the beginning, but you see a lot of us go ahead and see them. We go to the Redbox, we go to Netflix, we go to um, alternative BitTorrents or wherever we need to go to get our entertainment fix. The idea is, is that these movies, while creepy in their own right, and sure, you'll probably laugh at the plot, and the plot might not even make any sense, or you got, like, scenarios where... It seems like supporting characters aren't doing the right thing other than getting killed left and right. You see, that, that stuff is at, at its center is pretty much what draws us in. And then when we start caring about the lore, we start looking into like the other sequels that are made. And that being said, is sometimes the sequel can go its own alternative route, too. And, you know, I'm going to use a, another sort of film for that. Like the Cube movies. I love the Cubes. Like, the idea in the first one that it just happens. You don't know who constructed this damn monstrosity. But the thing is, is that you could be just chilling in your house one day, and then you close your eyes, and then you wake up, you're in the cube. And there's no real way of escaping, because the cube reformats itself on the hour every hour. And you're thinking that the math that you know to get you away from all of the lethal rubs and stuff, chances are <laughs> you might be wrong, and then you get decapitated, or you get cut apart, or... I mean, the list goes on and on. You might fall into a torture room that just has its way with you. Or at the same time, you go into another room where isolation will just drive you crazy. And because you don't have any food or nothing, you're just going to waste away. Like, that right there is creepy in itself. But then they made the second one, which the second one was like an alien construct or a governmental thing. Which I thought, you know, weakened it. Because at least in the first one, you didn't know what it was. You know, you didn't know who built it. And then the third one came out, which was a prequel to let you know that, oh, somebody built it, and it was, like, a major conglomerate, and yada, yada. It just killed the nature of the first one, you know? That's why, like, when you look at that kind of stuff, you can compare the movies, 
but you know that each one has their charm in the norm, so you think, all right, well, here's the cult status for this film. You know what I'm saying? But the idea that this thing exists sometimes, and it just happens just because, is creepy enough alone to win over some fans and win over people in general. Like, when you look over at Venom, and you're like, oh, well, you see, the plot really just didn't make any sense to me. He's a damn comic book character. You know what I'm saying? If you take a look over at Deadpool from time to time, a lot of his stuff doesn't make any sense, but he's still relevant because he's one of the best assassins on Earth. He's just an idiot. And he doesn't hold back in doing what he does. But then, of course, let's get to the crux of why people are hateful about this stuff is. Because Venom is PG-13. Star Wars, from time to time now, is PG-13. A lot of movies are PG-13. Get over yourself. Not every movie needs to carry an R rating. Okay? From time to time, it's okay to make things that are different. I mean, you sit there, you probably get tired of R rating. Oh, I'm kind of tired of so much bloodlust on my movies. I think I just want to go ahead and just watch some other things. I thought it was actually kind of funny, the fact that the Venom symbiote does bite the heads off of people and there's no blood. I thought that was actually kind of funny. You know, but at the same time, I'm able to put my suspense of disbelief in so I can go ahead and enjoy this movie. You know what I mean? Whereas other people, oh, it's got to be all this authentic crap. It's got to be all this realism here. Um, yeah, this is what I want. Uh, uh, the, I, I can't stand the idealism of this. And sure, I could go a little bit further by talking about A Star Is Born. Oh, yeah, yeah. That stuff was crazy, too, because you can tell who got paid off for this, and then all of the Lady Gaga bots and stuff like that, because apparently this movie is so original that you can bypass Venom to go see it. That is stupid. See, there's two different types. There's Actually, there's not two different types. I mean, for that scenario, yeah, okay, there's two different types of audiences, all right? Some people want to go see that romantic stuff. Other people want to go see action-packed horror elements. And then there's a time where that movie comes along and combines them all, but we'll we'll look into something like that a little later. But when... <laughs> uh, you Think about it. A Star is Born is not original. That is like the fourth remake of an American classic. There's three other remakes ahead of it. Well, actually, no, two remakes and one original. But the idea is, is that, you know what? Why are you even comparing the two? Why? Because they got to compete this for this one weekend and stuff? Like, she's got her fans. She's going to make her money anyway, regardless what. Let the movies compete with each other and stop ruining the stuff. You know what I'm saying? Go ahead and just say, oh, 30% this, 30% that. I'm not all about seeing that crap. Like, when, uh, did the remake for, uh, Suspiria come out yet? You know, I have a hard time saying the title, but I know it deals with the Coven of Witches under the disguise of, a uh, Dance Academy. When that remake comes out, yeah, I want to go take a look at that. You know what I'm saying? Because I want to see these things. Like, I know, like, when you delve into it too much and you look at, like, how serious this is, like, when a star is born, um, a producer falls in love with his client. You know what I mean? And she struggles with images, issues, and all that kind of stuff. It's no different than any other story you hear. But when you see, like, a disgraced journalist deals with a monster that could eventually kill him or whatnot, and he has to go ahead and try to find a way to make this relationship work while at the same time try to prevent a full-blown issue from going on 
that has to tie them both together. Like, he has to become Venom for a lot of the stuff that happens. And We Are Venom is a very beautiful thing to say. And they say it well in that movie. Like, I want to see that. That movie caters to somebody like me. And anybody else out there that just wants some mindless entertainment. Ain't no cultural stimulation here. I could care less about what Bradley Cooper is. And a lot of people are going to say, well, Jay, that's the voice of Rocket Raccoon. He helped direct this film. That's good. That's good. I'm not worried about it. I'll see it when it comes out or something like that. Or, you know, I'll go see it when I'm in the mood to see something like that. But when it's October and there's some creepy elements going on, I want to go see that. I'm going to go see all that kind of stuff. Like, I remember this movie, um, what was it? It was called Paranomia or something like that. Where it dealt with the idea of these people on this space station. Well, it wasn't even a space station. It was a, a spaceship that escaped Earth. And, like, there was a whole colony of people there because they were going to recolonize another planet because there is no more Earth. And that had a lot of had a lot of psychological and destructive moments in there. Well, destructive, well, sort of. Destructive moments, I should say, because, like, the mutants that were running amok on that spaceship... They were humans, and those humans were infected, and it turned out that the captain that was in charge of the whole thing, played by Dennis Quaid, he was the one that caused the whole damn thing. And you found that out in the end, or at the same time, like, when they killed off the mutants and stuff, like, him and, like, the main character and one other person were the only ones to survive on this whole new land. So it makes you wonder, are they going to live through this whole thing? Are they going to be able to survive? I mean, like, are they going to repopulate the Earth? Like, what are they going to do? You know what I'm saying? Because it was only two other people that survived. Because he had to battle the captain. And you could tell that the captain has long since gone crazy because he created a biohazard that made all those genetically altered creatures. And that movie was poorly reviewed, too. That that managed to get, like, what, 30% too? Like, 20 to 30%? I, I don't know what it is with the new climate and movie making or viewership. But it's getting kind of ridiculous with the way, like, they're trying to tell you what to watch, what's good for you, and stuff like that. No, 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 no. See, here in J360 Productions, like, I'll bring this stuff up to you, but I will always say, make your own decision. This isn't that kind of way of doing things. Go see the movie. If you want to see all this other wild stuff, yeah, take your ass and go see the movie. It's like, when you look at the Evil Dead films... You knew what they were trying to do. And the thing is, those movies are legendary. Like, the first one alone is one of the scariest movies I have ever seen. The second one combines horror and comedy. Like, the first half of it, you know, you see all the horrifying things. And then, like, the second half of it, you know, it gets funnier. But the third one is just balls to the walls crazy. And there's creepy stuff in that, too. Because remember when Evil Ash was forming and coming out of the man's shoulder with his eyeball out first and then everything else happened? That stuff was wild. <laughs> and you know what? I didn't mind the shift in tone because uh, it was just part of a great trilogy. And then, like, as soon as that ended, you know, they went to the series route, which was Ash versus Evil Dead. And I got a pretty good friend who's, like, he, he loves that stuff. So, you know, and I see him eye to eye on that kind of level, and I'm like, man, this this works for you, you know? And, and the thing is, is that, like, these things are charming for us. Like, you know, there's going to be another Children of the Corn remake. You know that's going to happen. There might be a remake of, you know, The Craft. There might be a remake of The Thing, which obviously will happen, you know, because that movie, you know, that movie has cult status. It has its fans. 
people will keep buying that movie the more it keeps being re-released. And then they'll go ahead and they'll make their own. And it, exp- and it inspires like a lot of great creators out here that are willing to go ahead and make their history too. You see what I'm saying? Like little things like this. Yeah, sure. It might flop according to people that are in the system that are a part of Rotten Tomatoes, Flickster, and everything else. But because of the charm and the norm, and because people are just like, you know what? I don't really care. I want to be entertained. I want bloodlust. I want insanity. I want psychological damage up the ass. I want stuff to actually make you think, but scare the living hell out of you. And that's why some of these things are actually important to the crux of the Monster Fest. Like, I remember some of the anthology films I watched, like Asylum. It turned out the person that was walking through the asylum was actually a a patient that thought he was a detective. Or certain things like the VHS movies. Like, you know, because they were a movie set of different, you know, different anthology scenarios. And of course, you know, the more you have outside the magic number of three the worse they tend to be, or like, you know, somebody's different take just won't match another person's different take. Four Rooms is actually pretty, um, pretty interesting movie, because, you know, you had a club of witches in there, and it was just one bellhop that's trying to get through all of the scenarios to survive the ship, which he does, but, you know, it, it was just weird. It was like a weird movie. But as I think about those VHS films, though, each and every single one of them, I'm glad I watched. Because, you know, like, it, it inspires me. And then I get to see, like, certain different types of storytelling. I think Eli Roth directed a couple of those things. Which, by the way, I hope you all are excited for another Saw sequel. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But then again, I wouldn't be surprised if Jigsaw 2 did pop up because it's another subset of a series of films. And the thing is, even if you lost interest in them, which I did, like... You know, after three, when Amanda was around. Because I thought that was like the proper send-off. But then you're like, you know, they're going to make another one because the movie's made money. So, it's what it is from here on out. And at least in the fourth one, you got to see that Jigsaw died off. And then you saw that another apprentice is continuing on his work. So, it actually plays out in the end. And either way, like, when you look at those kind of things, everybody's like, oh, well, you know, I just didn't care for these movies. But I know a lot of you, I know a lot of you out there have seen Paranormal Activity. And if there's one series out there that I really can't stand, it would be that one. (laughs) I couldn't imagine sitting there. Yeah, yeah, one time. You know what? I'll never forgive my ex for this. Yeah, we went to go see this movie because she was interested I wasn't. I was like, this better not be one of them found footage kind of movies where we're sitting there for two hours and nothing happens until the last minute. And wouldn't you believe it was? See, if you got moments like that going on, yeah, I don't care for that. But those films have achieved like some sort of status too, so I can't necessarily throw too many stones. I just didn't like the films. I didn't care for the second one. I didn't care for the third one. And then like the fifth one, I said, well, you actually see some ghosts this time. I don't care. I don't care. I should have saw it in that second one or something. I should have seen it earlier. You know, at least that's when I get critical. Because if I ain't seen nothing in the first one, which I pretty much didn't. Oh, yeah, yeah, she throws him across the room and then drags him out there. And it puts on her nightmare face at me. Oh, yeah, that 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 was <laughs> well, worth the, well worth the price of admission. Yeah, yeah, okay, great on that. <clears throat> nope, there is only 
two films that I liked that actually pulled something like that off. And they were... And they were Cloverfield and Quarantine. And while I'm at it, I might as well talk about the films that Quarantine was based off of, like the REC films. Those films were good! (laughs) You know, because eventually you did see that there was a virus being spread. Eventually you did see how those people were surviving through the aspects of those zombies running through there. (laughs) And it's like, yo, let's get the hell out of here before they kill us all. And in some cases... They went ahead and did so. It's a shame, though, in that third REC movie because, you know, you really wanted the married couple to make it, but nope. All the bloodlust and everything else that came from that, like, even the main dude you were following during the wedding, he even got killed on a bus with his little sister because the monsters came in through different scenarios of the city bus and, like, ate all of them. And you got to hear him scream, too. And I was like, whoo, I can't turn this off at all. I gotta see how this turns out. And it turns out bloody. But, you know, like, at, I think, like, at the end of that movie, like, the uh, bride and groom became zombies, sort of. And it was it was romantic, because it looked like they were going to make it out in the end until they got killed off by, um, you know, the government. But, yeah, like, see, things like that is what you want. Like, if you think about it, a horror set is usually an inverse love story at best, or it usually deals with the sins and follies of mankind. And then, like, some of the greatest sins and follies of mankind, an apologist just won't matter. And, like, certain things will tell you that. Like, you take a look over at the Friday the 13th movies. Like, simply put, just don't open up Camp Crystal Lake to the public anymore and have unsolicited sex there, and Jason probably won't come out and kill you. You know what I mean? Just don't disturb the remains of his mom, and maybe then you might make it alive. Or, you know, honestly, with the Halloween films, I think Michael just wanted to kill his sister, right? I mean, they never really specified why he did it. He just did it, right? You know? It's like little scenarios. The guy the guy was pure evil. And then you take a look over at Black Christmas, which at the same time, Billy Loomis is up there somewhere in the attic, causing mo- nothing but discourse for the the women that are staying in his house because it's been converted into a female dorm and every single one of them are just getting knocked off, but he keeps calling them Agnes for some reason. No matter what the reason is, no matter what the reason is, it just works out, you know? And if you sit there and you're always like, well, I want the plot to be focused, I want all this stuff to be focused, sometimes the nature of it is Get a gist of the plot, but always wonder why is this going on. And sometimes the most creepiest factor is, there might not be a reason. And when there is no reason, doesn't it just pull you forward a little bit more? Doesn't it just make you wonder what else happens? Because, I mean, like, if you take a look at Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, right? He never specified why all them birds were there attacking those people. There was never a reason. And yet, that is one of the most remarkable movies ever made. Because of the suspense. And some of us hold that in high regard to this day. I know somebody did because it was called Birdemic. Like, the, like there's like two of those now. And yeah, they're probably poorly made and the issues that go on with them. But 
you can't knock that guy for making those movies in the veins of the Hitchcock films, and you can't, much in the same way, you can't knock Tommy Wiseau's The Room, because he's pretty much a mythical figure now. Everybody knows who he is. So, and I'm only waiting to see what sort of horror movie he comes up with. So, as it goes, ladies and gentlemen, like, don't worry too much about whether a film is good or not. Worry about what you get out of it. You know what I mean? Like, go see the movie. Like, let this movie become one of two things. If it becomes an Oscar-winning hit, good on it. But I think it'll serve it much better if it becomes a cult film. And with a cult film sometimes, the longevity of that film. And with all these cons around here, it pays off in the end. It really does. And the best way of that can be is because of audience participation, which right now is making Venom the number one movie in the world. So congratulations to every single one of you out there who thought for yourselves and said, you know what, I'm going to go see this movie because hive minds don't make no sense. And it doesn't matter what anybody else around here thinks. It's all about you and your decision, and you're confident enough in there to go ahead and prove everybody wrong about it. You know, because I'm sure that some of my podcast friends out there are probably thinking, you actually like that movie? And I'll be looking at you in the eye and saying, hell yes, I did. And I went to go see it again. And again. (laughs) Because I think, if any movie, Venom deserves at least one more sequel, and they left it open for one. So this is the time for this stuff to shine. And if it goes well, you never know. There could be a crossover between him and Spider-Man soon enough. You just never know. But at the end of the day, I kind of talked y'all ear off long enough. And while you're at it, I wish you would just pick that stuff up and all the rest of your body parts. Because guess what? We got a double special happening next week. And if all goes well, I won't be hosting any of these shows alone. I'll try to have a guest and we'll go ahead and we'll communicate with some more creepy stuff to happen because I got a lot of things to come in the Monster Fest. And let me ask y'all something. If there's some sort of features that you would like to see in the Monster Fest or any other J360 event that'll happen, you know, drop me a line on the email j360productions at outlook.com or go ahead and take a look at the hotline and leave me a voicemail on things. And, you know, give me a few suggestions because, hey, part of this community is yours too. And since we're on Radio Public now, and I'll drop a link for that, you know what I mean? Come on and help us grow. Help us become a bigger business than what we are because we got a lot more to present to you all. And I'm excited to see how things go. The approvals are just flying high here at J360 Radio. And I have to thank every single one of you for that. Because, I mean, it's, it's just amazing how we're just growing and, you know, making marks. But outside of all that, though, that's it for the J360 Monster Fest today and the J-Man show in general. So I'll be back next week, okay? Now you take it all easy, and we'll come back with some more stuff on the Monster Fest happening soon. All right? This is Jay signing off. Peace.